0: It's 2017 I'm James Carlton God forbid the G'day, welcome to God Forbid, the 21st episode of our podcast and RN show. And just as one does on their 21st birthday, we're going to reflect on the journey so far. We have met amazing people on God Forbid from so many different faiths and walks of life. So this week and for the rest of July, we're going to revisit some of the stories and explore some of the themes that have emerged. Firstly, minority faith the religious traditions that thrive in Australia and around the world, even though they're in countries where most people have fundamentally different religious beliefs. We'll hear from Sikhs, Jews, Mandaeans and Quandamooka people It's also NAIDOC week, and we'll look at the Mission Song Project. It's a curation of the many Aboriginal folk songs that were conceived and composed and performed over a 100 years on the missions and reservations and native camps to which Indigenous people were relocated. Don't miss that story. First, though, the religion that's a minority faith in the nation of its birth, yet its followers are around the world, the Baha'i religion, where with Venus Kalesi, who's spokesperson for Australia's Baha'is. Venus, welcome to God Forbid, the Baha'i religion, relatively speaking, a very young religion.
1: This year we'll be celebrating the 20th anniversary since the birth of Baha'u'llah. The prophet. The prophet founder, yeah.
0: And in Australia it's been for nearly 100
1: years. Yeah. The faith came to Australia in 1920.
0: And for this 200th anniversary of the birth of the Prophet, celebrations planned?
1: Absolutely. All over the country, all over the world, actually, in every locality.
0: What about Iran? Will there be celebrations there?
1: Oh, that's a really good question. Um, As you may know, the Baha'i community is under serious attack by the government. So anytime the community gets together, they're really at great risk You know, even if it's small gatherings or, you know, they're not even allowed to study, actually. I'm sure that they'll be wanting to celebrate what it's going to look like. I don't know.
0: Venus, Baha'is are in a special place. You don't actually have clergy, no priests, no bishops.
1: That's right. We conduct ourselves through consultative bodies, spiritual assemblies at the local, national and international level. And um, one of the teachings of Baha'u'llah was to seek truth independently.
0: If the Baha'i don't have priests and clergy, who conducts the ceremonies, the services?
1: volunteers and every week different individuals will be asked to read from a program that's been already determined and prepared often we'll have uh, special services for things like human rights day uh, you know international day for women We'll have members of the local community, like from the local council, be invited to even read at those services. Indigenous elders, in the case of National Reconciliation Week. We've also had, you know, for International Day of Peace, services where there'll be representatives of different faith communities reading from the sacred scriptures that have been prepared for the occasion of peace. You know, don't have to be a special individual to read at the service. You just have to be able to read.
0: (laughs) the Baha'i religion. So when and how did it begin?
1: Sure. Well, the Baha'i faith came from Iran. Uh, The prophet founder was Bahá'u'lláh. He was born in 1817 in Tehran, and uh, he came from quite a noble family. He gave up the opportunity to take on his father's role in the king's court and instead really wanted to be of service to humanity, and, and he was given the title father of the poor. Throughout his life, Baha'u'llah was banished and exiled and he ended up passing away in Acre, which is now part of Israel. Baha'u'llah taught that religion is part of a successive chain of revelation, you could say. And so we hold very sacred all the religions, Jesus, Muhammad, Buddha, and hold them with the same sanctity and divinity as that of Baha'u'llah.
0: But you don't hold all those religions to be true. At the same time, because that would be self-contradictory, wouldn't it?
1: Yeah. Well, what we follow are Baha'u'llah's teachings and laws. And actually, we have a Baha'i house of worship in Sydney, and every Sunday there's a service. And the readings include the scriptures of the major world religions. Every week, those scriptures are read from the holy texts of you know, various religions. Extraordinary. So looking at the oneness of God, the oneness of religion, and the oneness of all people.
0: This was, what, 1850
1: when...? Yeah, in 1853, Bahola declared that he was a manifestation of God and the religion went from there.
0: A risky thing in the Ottoman Empire, isn't it, to declare yourself a messenger of God? What did the Ottoman Empire make of him?
1: They saw him as a real threat, so wherever he went he was able to galvanise a lot of followers um, and he had a lot of influence. And so that's why he was successively banished from one place to the other. So, so when he actually declared himself as a messenger of God, that was in Baghdad in Iraq, then he was sent to Constantinople, Istanbul, and then in Adrianople, and then finally they sent him to Akka. Back then, Akka was known as the end of the world. They sent the worst thieves and robbers. It was, it was a prison city. They thought, okay, we'll send him to Akka and hopefully this will be the end of it. But um, that wasn't the case and the faith has spread throughout the world since.
0: And how many Baha'i are in Australia?
1: There's about 20,000 in Australia, spread, you know, throughout big cities and uh, small communities and rural towns as well. How many around the world? Well, I'd say probably over 6 million. But the interesting thing about this faith is that individuals who like the teachings and want to be a part of the community building activities are taking part in what it is that we're doing, Um, you know, effectively creating more cohesive communities. And so just because they don't have the title of Baha'i doesn't mean that they're not involved in our community-building efforts. And a lot of people are seeking truth, religious truth, and they're becoming increasingly attracted to the teachings of the Baha'i faith.
0: And isn't that because uh, uh, many Baha'i principles sound quite modern? This is a set of Baha'i principles which were adopted 100 years ago they sound like they could have been written yesterday. Unity in diversity, sexual equality, unity of God, religion, humanity, world peace with no prejudice, no extreme wealth or poverty, harmony of religion and science with universal compulsory education.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when we read them you know, from a list now in 2017 in Australia, that sounds pretty reasonable. But to think that that was revealed in the Middle East, in the mid-1800s, is quite revolutionary, actually.
0: What's the attitude to drinking alcohol and premarital sex?
1: Uh, Well, Baha'is do not drink alcohol and do not participate in premarital sex. So that's pretty much the view.
0: (laughs) When the Prophet Baha'u'llah died in 1892, he passed on the leadership to his son. Mm -hmm. And when the son died, he passed it on to his grandson, who lived until 1957. What happened then?
1: So there was a group of individuals referred to as hands of the cause that had been appointed by the guardian of the Baha'i faith, Shoghi Effendi. And it's quite interesting. It's the first time in religious history where a body transferred their power over to what is now known as the Universal House of Justice. So they arrange for the election. From then on, the Universal House of Justice has been the governing body uh, looking over the affairs of the community.
0: And there are elections every year and all Baha'is, over 21 vote?
1: Yeah, we actually just had our election for our national governing body. Anyone over 21 who is a Baha'i in good standing can be um, up for election. We don't do any electioneering. It's The elections are done by secret ballot. Now, every five years, the National Spiritual Assemblies of the countries throughout the world gather together in Haifa and elect the Universal House of Justice
0: are women allowed to be on the supreme body, the Universal House of Justice?
1: The membership of the Universal House of Justice is confined to men. It may seem surprising given that the equality of men and women is one of the principles of the Baha'i faith. But we've been told that the wisdom behind that will be understood in the future. And it's said in the Baha'i writings that the equality of men and women is actually an established fact. So just because the membership of the Universal House of Justice is limited to men, doesn't mean that men are more superior to women.
0: How does the faith deal with schisms and the breakaways that tend to occur in religions from time to time?
1: We have this beautiful thing called a covenant. Recognising Baha'u'llah, his teachings, the faith continues to pledge its allegiance to the Universal House of Justice, and members of the faith do so as well. That's the way, I guess, as individual Baha'is, we deal with it. Because of this love for the universal house of justice, members of the Baha'i community are very much obedient or observe and recognise their station.
0: But for those who aren't, they can be what's called covenant breakers. What happens to them?
1: They carry on with whatever they want to do.
0: Excommunicated or something like that? Just, I'm just wondering, is there yeah. like a dispute process? Or
1: I don't believe there is. Um, you know, Baha'is that recognise the station of the universal house of justice continue to do so and... If other people don't, then that's their choice, I guess.
0: And are they still allowed in the Baha'i faith?
1: In terms of the gatherings and so on? Yeah. Look, there are many things that are open to members of the public and if they want to participate, they're welcome to do so. So, you know, when it comes to public gatherings and things like that, anyone is welcome, really.
0: But not actual Baha'i gatherings?
1: There are certain things that are limited to Baha'is in good standing, so you know, if if you've broken the covenant, then you obviously don't believe in that administration. So you probably wouldn't want to be a part of it anyway.
0: Rn, it's God forbid. We're with Venus Kalesi from the Australian Baha'i community. Next, the persecution of Baha'i in Iran. Allah. Venus, the Islamic Revolution in 1979, Ayatollah Khomeini returned from exile in France to be supreme leader. What happened in those early days?
1: Baha'is were abducted, they were executed, homes were burnt down, children were expelled from school. I mean, many of these things continue today. There's currently seven individuals who were serving on an ad hoc leadership group because, of course, our administrative bodies were disbanded. The government just declared it illegal. And because we recognize the law of the land it was disbanded but there was still an ad hoc group to informally oversee the affairs of that community they this year will mark 9 years that they've been in prison
0: charges against them
1: yeah things like espionage there's not even you know a page of evidence which has been put towards those charges
0: tell me your parents story
1: My dad was a major in the army and he got a letter saying, you know, owing to your belief in the Baha'i faith, you've been expelled from work. And my mum was a registered nurse. Uh, Her letter stated, in accordance to the Islamic court, you have been expelled from work. They migrated to Europe and then from there they came to Australia.
0: In Iran, even though Israel is considered the great Satan Zionist entity, Iranian Jews have though precarious, uh, an easier life than Baha'is, along with Christians and Zoroastrians. Why?
1: For those who are part of religions other than Islam, they still have it quite tough. But the case of the Baha'is is particularly precarious because the Baha'i faith isn't recognised in the constitution of Iran. The Baha'i faith came after Islam, so the followers of Baha'u'llah are deemed as heretics.
0: Whereas Jews, Christians and Zoroastrians are not heretics because they are deemed to have an independent religion.
1: Yeah, it's a theological argument that uh, Muhammad is, you know, the seal of the prophet. so how can there be someone after him? But, you know, many religions talk about the coming of a promised one and um, Baha'is recognise Bahá'u'lláh to, to be the promised one foretold in all the great religions.
0: Now, Baha'is believe in showing obedience to the government and not getting involved in politics. That's so, right, yeah. Then take us back to the revolution in 79 when all the Mullahs, plus the communists and the democrats and the students were all Stirring for revolution. Mm. When it came, co opted by the mullahs nonetheless, was the non involvement of Baha'i perceived as tacit support for the Shah?
1: I don't think so. I think they recog- what they saw within the Baha'i community. This is a, a religious minority that is being persecuted. Holy places were being destroyed. You know, homes were being looted. Members of the administrative body were being executed. So I don't think it was whether they were for the Shah or or not.
0: What about the 2012 Green Movement protests? Was the uh, non-involvement from the Baha'i community resented by sections of society?
1: I think that within Iran, there's a huge population of young people. I'm sure that when they're talking to Baha'is, they get to learn about the principles that they stand for, the want and need for justice for all, and the desire to have a unified Iran. And what that looks like, I don't know. But those who are within Iran and through the friendships they have with Baha'is, understand their position when it comes to non-involvement in these sort of political movements.
0: Venus Kalesi, spokesperson for the Australian Baha'i community. RN, it's God forbid.